We're ready to resume in Canto 11, Chapter 21, Explanation of the Vedic Path, explained to Uddhava by Lord Sri Krishna. We started uh, last week with 35 uh, uh, earlier on. the uh, discussion has been about those people who don't really understand the, the, the Vedas uh, and uh, simply think the karma kanda section of the Vedas is all in all. And uh, in, uh, in text... Uh, uh, 30 uh, the word parokya was introduced the confidential conclusion of the Vedic knowledge and that word was there parok- uh, paroksha beyond the uh, literally uh, uh, out of sight beyond the range of sight confidential and now that becomes the topic of conversation, the esoteric features of Vedic sounds, the hidden or confidential sense of the Vedas. Why are the Vedas proksha? So text 35, uh, I'll read it again. Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om namo bhagavate vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So 35 again is Veda Brahmanta, excuse me, Veda Brahmatma Vishayash Trikanda Vishaya Yine Parokshavada Vishayaha Parokshamamacha Priyam. The Vedas divided into three uh, divisions. uh, three sections uh, ultimately reveal the living entity as pure spirit soul, as Brahma Atma, Brahma Atma. The Vedic seers and mantras, however, deal in esoteric terms, and that's the paroksha, is the, what they're translating here. And I am also pleased by such confidential descriptions. Why? Krishna likes them. <laughs> says they are, uh, they are mama priya, dear to me. This paroksha. Uh, and um, and uh, so here He says he prefers it. The three, the three parts: karma kanda, brahma kanda, or devata kanda. Or, uh, I mentioned here by by uh, Shudar Swami. Uh, and uh, oops, I don't have the right ones here in the book. And in here, uh, there's a long purport. Um, uh, 
it's mentioned, one may ask why the Lord himself, as well as the Lord's representatives, the Vedic seers and mantras, speak in esoteric or direct terms, as the Lord states in Bhagavad Gita, Naham Prakash Sarvashya. The Supreme Lord does not allow himself to be taken very cheaply, and thus he is not manifest to superficial or inimical uh, people. They make that point. Uh, let me just... Uh, I didn't uh, get this on the right page here. One second. So, so when we go, when we look at the, this idea that something is secret or confidential is hidden, uh, uh, is it, is it says here so that um, people will not be able to understand uh, if they're not proper. But I, the idea that if, if the Sometimes, like the like in the Bhagavad Gita, for example, the word for secret that's <clears throat> used there repeatedly is gusha. I actually made a uh, a list of it. Uh, how many times it shows up? This this uh, this this uh, term uh, gusham. Yeah, and and the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna ninth chapter. Uh, uh, Idam tu te guyatamam, this most confidential knowledge I'm speaking to you, which is going to relieve you of all the miseries of material existence. Well, if it'll do that, why keep it a secret, right? But he he calls it this guyam, most confidential. And uh, and then then, uh, uh, Arjuna later on, uh, he refers to the what you've spoken to me as the gusham ajatma samjnitam, the most paramam uh, gusham, actually, the supreme confidential spiritual topics, you know. He calls it he the parama gusham, the highest, most confidential. Uh, that's in uh, 11.1 and 15.20. Uh, Krishna says, "Iti guyatamam shastram." This is the most confidential part of the Vedic scriptures. You understand it, you'll become wise. Then uh, uh, Krishna, in eighteen sixty-three, now I've explained to you knowledge still more confidential. Guyat guyataram, more confidential than confidential. <laughs> you know. Then in eighteen sixty-four. Uh, I am speaking to you, Sarvaguyatamam Bhuya Srinume Paramam Vachaha. I am speaking to you, my Paramam Vachaha, my supreme instruction, which is Sarvaguyatamam Bhuya, the most confidential knowledge of, of all. 
uh, and then 1864, Ya Idam Paramam one who explains this supreme secret, Madbhakteshu uh, Abhidashati, to my devotees, actually. He says here, to my devotees, that per- devotional service is guaranteed. Well, he, said, he goes out of his way to say, to the devotees, because not everybody will be able to understand it. Prabhupada's definition that he gave at one point of confidential is not everyone can, can appreciate it. Uh, and then Bhagavad Gita 1875, uh, 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 I have heard these most confidential talks, Sanjaya says, directly from the master of all, Mrs. Sunika Griham. Uh, so this is the Vedic knowledge is hidden. Now the thing about Bhagavad Gita, it's a secret, but it's almost an open secret because Krishna has really boiled it down and made it, explained it in simple language and, you know, to a, to a soldier, not a Brahmin, you know, to a soldier on a battlefield. By the way, it also shows up many times in the Bhagavatam, Puyatam, uh, especially uh, the first of the verses called the Chatur Shloki Bhagavatam, where Krishna says, knowledge about me, as described in the scriptures, is extremely confidential. Parama uh, Gucham. Uh, he calls it that. And then, the, and then it's Sarahasyam. Sarahasya also means secret. He uses a synonym for that a couple of times. So, so this is uh, this is where it comes from. Uh, I want to. There's there was a a 19th century German uh, scientist and philosopher named Georg Lichtenberg, uh, and he, he. had put up would put out these books of aphorisms he'd make up these short pithy aphorisms and one of him one of his goes like this uh, a book is a mirror if an ape looks into it an apostle is hardly likely to look out <laughs> uh, there's a variant ways this is translated. A book is a mirror. If an ape peers in, you can't expect an apostle to look out. You know, but that's basically the thing. Sometimes you hear it. It says ass look, uh, ass looks in, but they mistranslated the German word affa. Doesn't mean ass. It means a po- uh, 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 an ape. So where where uh, Listenberg says this. This is the whole context. A book is a mirror. If an ape looks into it, an apostle is hardly likely to look out. He continues, we have no words for speaking of wisdom to the stupid. <laughs> he who understands the wise is wise already. So that's... <laughs> so, so that's why... When Prabhupada teaches us Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas, he also makes us go through some remedial measures to give us a brain. That is to say, regulative principles, chanting rounds, and so on. These are things to make you intelligent. One thing is 
that unnecessary gratification makes one stupid. It dulls the, the, the intelligence. So that's why it's esoteric. It may be a secret, but nobody will be able to recognize it. They'll be all looking in. Because Bhagavad Gita is, is, really is, it's, 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 it's meant for the, the many, not for the few. It's in simple Sanskrit. Also, it's bedded into an adventure tale, the Mahabharata. Uh, you know, a popular work that is for the for the people in general. But yet, how many people understand it? You know, Prabhupada talks about that quite a bit. Why he's doing it again? Uh, uh, so that's part of the a good part of the paroksha uh, is there. So now here in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 21, text 36, he continues, Shabda Brahma, Sabja Brahma, Sab, Shabda Brahma, Sadur Bodham, Pran, uh, Pranindriya Manomayam, Antaparam Gabhiram, Durvigayam Samudravat, so uh, the the uh, transcendental sound of the Vedas, this Shabda Brahman, uh, Shabda Brahma, Shabda Brahma, here is not an enemy, Shabda Brahma, the transcendental sound of the Vedas is difficult to comprehend. Sudurabodham. Uh, and manifest on different levels within the prana, senses, and mind. Uh, prana, indriya, manaha, mayam. Pranindriya, mano, mayam. This is the place where it exists. Not just in the mind, not in the, just in the mind, but in the life air and in the senses. Uh, they say in the word for word, manifesting on different levels within the prana senses in mind. The Vedic sound is unlimited, uh, ananta param, without any limit, gambiram, deep, durvigaiham, uh, uh, unfathomable, samudravat, like the ocean. So here, uh, it's ex- explained about this, uh, according to Vedic knowledge, the Vedic sound is divided into four phases. So these are they're using the word phases here, which can be understood only by the most intelligent, intelligent brahmanas. This is because three of the divisions are divisions are internally situated within the living entity, and only the fourth division is manifested, uh, is externally manifested as speech. Even this fourth phase of Vedic sound called Vaikari, Vaikari, is very difficult to understand for ordinary human beings. And now they basically repeat Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, uh, 
Uh, so I just go straight to him <laughs> and uh, look at look at his uh, his uh, commentary here. Oh, Vishwan Takavardi uh, uh, says uh, begins his purport by putting, uh, giving the words of a imaginary interlocutor, somebody who says something to him. him, him. So this person says, since there is no other way for people to accept the Vedas, the pleasures of swarga are offered just as a doctor offering candy to a child so he will drink medicine. This you have explained. We heard that earlier. Jaimini and others seem to explain things with a similar intention. Uh, Jaimini is the author of the Karma Mamamsa uh, purports uh, Vedic school, one of, the, one of the sages. So he says, yeah, that's what Jaimini does too. Vishma Chakravarti Thakur replies, that is not so. If those sages, if Jaimini, if they had known, they would have explained this. I said, no. No one can really know the meaning of the Vedas without me, or my devotees like Vyas and Narada. You find in the Bhagavatam, Narada is immediately uh, complimented uh, and tells Vyas, you know, that now this is the, the confidential part of the Vedas, and I'm going to explain to you things that have... Uh, uh, he says, the Veda is difficult to understand regarding its true nature and function. It has two forms, gross and subtle. The subtle form of the Vedas is difficult to understand. First, the Veda is para. Here's this word para, related to prana, situated in the muladhara chakra. So there's a system of chakras, and the lowest chakra called the Adhara Chakra or the Muladhara Chakra is the one at the very bottom uh, uh, of the spine, way down there. And so uh, this is where the life force is kind of uh, stored up, the bottom, like a snake. In Kundalini Yoga, they, the, the serpent power of the spine, the life force is compared to a snake. So it's prana. And then, so the Veda, now we're not really aware of that, are we? But, uh, but anyway, situated in the Muladhara Chakra, and its name is Para. It has that name, Para. Then it becomes Pashyanti. And then it's, it's related to, has to do with the mind. And there it's in the Manipura chakra. Interesting, that's, that's uh, like at the navel. There's a Swadhisthana chakra between them, but then we go to the Manipura, Mula, Manipura chakra, where it's related to mind. And then it's called Madhyama, situated at the Anahata chakra, the heart chakra, uh, related to intelligence. And then it becomes the audible sound, Vaikari, 
related to the senses. That is to say, the the uh, this chakra, the Vishuddha chakra, the throat chakra, the Vishuddha chakra, where you make speech. Uh, uh, so the voice is there. He says. And so that that's where Vedic sound it, it exists on these four levels. Uh, so that's difficult to understand. And then he says, moreover, the Vedas being made of material and spiritual prana. Both kinds of prana. Prana is life air. Uh, its meaning is, uh, is not divided by space or time. You can say it's all pervading in time and space because it's made of material and spiritual prana. Uh, uh, and it is ananda para, uh, uh, without an end or infinite. In terms of meaning, it is also difficult to understand. Its meaning is very deep, thus difficult to comprehend. And then he quotes from the Rig Veda, wise men know four aspects of sound in the Vedas. So here they are. It goes way back to these, you know, uh, it's in the Rig Veda, by which truth is known. They do not reveal the three aspects which are hidden within the body. Men speak the fourth form as words. And then he says, men speak this, but they do not know the truth. Uh, so, um, so, so, so you just said there's the fourth of the prana phase, which is called para, and at the muladhara chakra at the base of the spine, the mental phase uh, called pasyanti, which is the area of the navel, the manipura chakra. Uh, the, the intellectual phase, Madhyama, uh, the area of the heart, uh, Anahata Chakra, and then the Vaikari, the manifest sensory phase called Vaikari with the Vishuddha Chakra uh, here. That's what it means. So these are the four levels of sound. I looked at these, uh, these two of them are mentioned in the Monar Williams Dictionary. So this is uh, uh, well known, and of course, this uh, Prabhupada mentions this, these chakras in a in, in number of times in the Bhagavatam. In the commentary to four twenty-three fourteen, he says, "The aim of this particular system of asana, known as the sitting posture for liberation or muktasana, is to attain success in kundali, kundalini chakra." gradually raise the life from the Muladhara Chakra to the Swadhisthana Chakra, that's the powerhouse of life area, and then to the Manipura Chakra, the Anahata Chakra, the Vishuddhi Chakra, and finally to the Ajna Chakra, that's the one between the eyes, and then the Brahma Rundra. In that case, you go, you raise the life air up, take the spirit, pick up the spirit soul and the heart from the heart, 
and then phew, exit out the Brahma Ranja that's been described in the in the, in the Bhagavatam. So these are these uh, uh, phases here. Uh, so uh, let me see. Now it gets. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's uh, continue it uh, now. Text number thirty-seven. Mayo Brahmanananta Shaktina Bhuteshu Gosha Rupena Visheshur Neva Lakshate. As the unlimited, unchanging, omnipotent personality of Godhead dwelling within all living beings, I personally established the Vedic sound vibration in the form of omkara within all living entities. It is thus perceived subtly, just like a single strand of fiber on a lotus stalk. Uh, uh. So here, Gosha uh, Lupena, uh, by me, this has been established by me, this Bhumna, unlimited, Brahmana, Ananta Shaktina with potencies that have no end. Bhuteshu within the living entities. Uh, uh, the unlimited, unchanging, omnipotent, uh, dwelling within all living beings. I establish uh, Gosha Rupena in the form of subtle sound. Gosha, this word Gosh. Uh, 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 means uh, gosh is one word for a kind of indistinct sound. Uh, uh, Another word that's used for that is nada. So gosh means uh, indistinct noise, uh, confused cry of a multitude, uh, cries of woe or distress, the roar of animals, the sounds of drums or conch shells or, you know, all these kind of things. Uh, these are, this is the kind of idea that a gosh, uh, gosh means. Uh, uh, and uh, so the way this verse is translated here Banuswami translations, following Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's commentary. He says, The Vedas are spread everywhere by me. Because I possess many forms, pervade everywhere as Brahman, and possess unlimited powers. Excuse me, the Vedas which are spread everywhere by me, because I possess many forms, pervade everywhere as Brahman, and possess unlimited powers, are perceived, the Vedas, by the wise as Nada, so Vishnu Chakravarti uses the word nada. 
uh, for a synonym for gosh in the verse, as nada within all beings, subtle as the threads within a lotus stalk. So the lotus stalk has these very, very fine fibers in it. Um, so the word nada is also used the same way. Uh, uh, mega nada, uh, for example, in Bhagavatam is the sound of a cloud. Uh, both in the Bhagavatam, actually, gosha and nada are both used in the same verse to refer to the sound of Krishna's ankle bells. Because again, it's a tingle, it's a sort of a natural sound rather than articulated speech, right? Uh, uh, and so on. Oh, the sound of the flute, venu nada. Uh, the, the, uh, the cry of pain is arta nada. Uh, and, 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 and so on. So this is the idea. So he calls it uh, uh, so uh, and, and this nada is part of omkara because he says the syllable om but it's explained uh, in the later on in this canto uh, 27 uh, 24, uh, uh, verse, chapter 27, verse 24, Krishna says, the worshiper should meditate upon my subtle form, which is situated within the worshiper's own body, now purified by air and fire, as the source of all living entities. This form of the Lord is experienced by self-realized sages in the last part of the vibration of the sacred syllable OM. Purport. According to Srila Sridhar Swami, this is the BBT purport I'm reading to this verse, uh, the pranava or omkara has five parts. A, U, M, the nasal bindu, and the reverberation, the nada. Liberated souls meditate upon the Lord at the end of that reverberation. So subtle sound <laughs> that takes the form of this, uh, this, this, uh, this, uh, this, so see, 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 omkara, if you look at it when you say it, ah, ooh, mm, Right, the, the the vibration is in your throat. It moves up to your mouth and then ends up at your lips. Ah, mm. so the whole gamut of sound production is reproduced there. Uh, and then that mm, uh, is is has a subtle sound going that just that nasal. And mm is a nasal because the air goes actually doesn't go out. Your lips are closed, so the air exits through your nose when you say mm. Right? So, and in the symbol of omkara, right, you, you see there's a, there's, there's a, uh, looks like a, to us a backward three, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, that, that's the ah. And then there's a kind of a hook at the end of it going like this, which is the, U sound. The M sound is the dot, because that's how you mark a nasal in Sanskrit, Devanagari script, with the dot. 
And then, you notice there's that little curved line beneath it? That's the, that's the, uh, that's, that's the, the reverberation. That's the nada. That little curve is the nada, represents the nada. The very subtle nasal expiration of the nasal sound is the, is the nada. Uh, I also discovered that uh, in the, there's a, in the uh, purport to Adi 7108, uh, there's a list of the 100 Nadu Upanishads, and there's a Upanishad, there's two Upanishads, they both have the same name because they're listed twice Nada Bindu Upanishad, the Nada Bindu. So the Nada Bindu is significant for containing uh, subtle. Uh, uh, subtle, subtle knowledge there. So that's the, that's the, uh, so that's the the om omkara, uh, and uh, so so. Uh, here, Shuddha Swami says in his commentary, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, uh, the, Vedas, the Veda is seen as nada by the wise in all beings. So there's all pervading sound, right? Sound is the tanmatra for the ele- element space. Akasha is the subtle, just empty space. This empty space has a vibration in it, the subtle nada. It's not audible, but it's there. Only when we come to quantum mechanics do they begin to understand this, that you read modern quantum mechanics, there are all kinds of things going on in empty space. It takes many pages of equations in quantum mechanics to characterize empty space. There are many things going on. And they call them waves or fields and gravitational fields and all but this is the, the, the nada. Uh, so it describes, and so I believe the seers of the olden times through their heightened perception were aware of, of these uh, things. Now, let's go. The next is three verses together. I'm having a hard time today. Yator Nanarbi Kriddaya Urna Udva Mate Mukat Akashat Go Shavan Prano Manasa Sparsharu Pina Chando Mayo Mrita Maya Sahasra Paravim Prabhu Om Karat Yanjita Sparsha Sarvo Ma Tasta Bhushitam Excuse me, I did that wrong. Svaroshma Tasta Bhushitam Vichitra Bhasha Vittatam Chando Bis Chattur Uttarai Anantaparam Brihatim Sijatya Kshipate Swayam. So, uh, just as a spider brings forth from its heart 
the web and emits it through its mouth. Uh, by the way, I looked up the word muka, which is here muka, translated as mouth. It just means, it can mean aperture. So all of you immediately <laughs> put off by the fact that the Vedas don't know that where a spider web doesn't come out of its mouth, but it has a special uh, duct for admitting the web. Uh, the, the word is, uh, the, yeah, uh, uh, muka can mean a hole or aperture. But actually, a nipple is sometimes called muka for that reason. I assume because milk comes out. So, this, just before you get hung up on that one, <laughs> I'm going to say something. But here they translate his mouth. It's not necessary, but uh, uh, I'll substitute aperture. Just as a spider brings forth from its heart its web and emits it through its aperture, the supreme personality of Godhead manifests himself as the reverberating primeval vital air. The word in the text here is gosha van pranaha. So there's prana in that gosha, meaning, you know, this kind of indistinct sound, gosha van, so sort of just a sound vibration of the air, uh, reverberating primeval vital air. Compromising all sacred Vedic meters uh, 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 chanda, the chanda means a, a metrical line, uh, meaning poetic meters, like we have iambic pentameter and so on. And, uh, uh, compromising all sacred Vedic meters and full of transcendental pleasure. Uh, Amrita Maya uh, says here in, the, in this verse, Amrita Maya. Uh, Thus the Lord, from the ethereal sky of his heart, creates the great and limitless Vedic sound by the agency of his mind, which conceives of various gated sounds such as the sparshas. Uh, sparsha means uh, uh, alphabet, the consonants to most of them. I'll explain a little bit more. The Vedic sound branch out in thousands of directions, adorned with the different letters expanded from the syllable Om. So the Om is there, and then from Om you generate the whole thing, because Ah, Ooh, um, and uh, so then the things that come out, the consonants, vowels, sibilants, and semi-vowels, the Vedas then is then elaborated by many verbal varieties expressed in different meters, chandaha, each having four more syllables than the previous one. Ultimately, the Lord again withdraws his manifestation of Vedic sound within himself. The Sanskrit is a little more dramatic. Uh, so it uses this example like a urna-nabha, a spider, uh, 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 urna nabha is a word for spider it basically means one who has wool on his navel <laughs> urna is wool or thread a thread on his navel right <laughs> so as, that, as the spider emits the thread so the Lord does, uh, sends out the 
beginning the, the, the omkaras, the simple, all-pervading, subtle sound of the Vedas, and then it differentiates this. Uh, uh, so so the, uh, the Vedas actually have a creative power. They're, they're the seeds of everything that are in the, they're in the Brahma Jyoti. Uh, so branches in a thousand directions uh, like this. By means of manasa, primeval mind. Uh, uh, and then uh, coming, starting with this omkara, omkarat, expands. And then the different parts of the Sanskrit uh, alphabet, sparsha. Sparsha in the first place, sparsha rupini, forms of different phonemes of the alphabet sounds. But the sparshas are the uh, the consonants uh, when you, sparsha means touch. But say if, if, I, if I say uh, pa, my lips have come together, pa and ba, the same way, pa, ba like this. And so those are labial consonants. Other consonants, ta-ta-da-da, the tongue is a dental against the teeth, ta-ta-da-da, you know, and so on. We don't have time to explain the whole Sanskrit alphabet now. But it's made, it starts from here and goes up also, starting with the ka-ka, ka is in the throat, ka, the touch takes place down here, ka-ka, away in the back of your mouth. Kaka gaga, cha cha jaja, tata dada, tata dada, papa baba, like those like that. When you see how the Sanskrit alphabet is arranged, then you when you think of A B C D E F G, you think, wow, is that ever witless and stupid alphabet? Anyway, it's very scientifically that. So that's one class of sounds, the sparshas. Swara are the vowels. Ah uh, ah. Uh. E E U U E E. These are these are vowel sounds. Huh? Uh, the, the vowels. Ushma, uh, the sibilants made just by uh, passing of air over a surface. Sha Sa Sa and Ha is also ushma. Uh, uh, it's just air passing over a surface, different surfaces. Ushma means heating, actually. Antasta. The ya, ra, la, va, the semi-vowels. Uh, so that all that this comes about and is elaborated. And then the different meters, uh, having each one having four more than the, the previous one. This is the uh, uh, Sanskrit meters. It starts with Gayatri. Uh, and, 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 and neither they, you count syllables. To know how many syllables there are in a Sanskrit word, just count the vowels. One vowel per syllable. Right? So Gayatri uh, ha- has three uh, lines. Uh, and each line has eight syllables. So there's 24 syllables in the Gayatri meter. Uh, I freaked out a little bit once because the Gayatri we chant in the morning has seems the Brahma Gayatri seems to have more, but then I found out that it begins Om Bur Bhuva Swa. That's a prelude, and the Gayatri begins with Tat. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it starts. 
So it actually does, it is Gayatri, the Brahma guy. So Gayatri has this, this uh, and it's the first one. And the next is called Ushnik, which has uh, four more syllables, uh, three lines, and the last line instead of eight is 12, and so on. The, one, the next one, we know, Anushtub, the, the verse we're looking at are Anushtub. The Bhagavad Gita is Anushtub, is sometimes called Shloka meter, and that has four lines, or padas, and, and each one has eight syllables, and so on. And then it just goes on and uh, adds, adds them up, the Brihati, Pankti, Trishtub, Jagati, and so on. That Trishtub is the Govinda Madhipurusham Tamaham Majami. That's another. So these are the meters uh, like this. So all this uh, is... Um, Now, what's really interesting uh, uh, now here uh, uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says uh, previously it was said I enter uh, the Muladhara Chakra of Brahma along with the prana phase of subtle para sound. That was back in the 11th Canto, 12th chapter, 17, we encountered this before. And then he goes on, the Lord becomes like the gosh or nada, which becomes prana. Uh, becoming that prana, the Lord creates the shruti, predominated by vaikari, uh, by the mind. First he creates para, then Pashanti, then Majjama, and finally Vaikari. The Lord creates this and then destroys it. See, in, 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 in the Sanskrit of the verse we're looking at, he, he creates uh, and destroys it. Shijati Akshipate. Create. By create, it, this means the, the sense of shridge is to send forth. It's not like you make something out of something else. You send it forth. He sends it forth and he pulls it back. That's how it takes place. This, So, uh, yeah, so this is his, and where it, where it shows up, interestingly enough, is um, uh, if you go back to the 12th chapter on the four phases of Vedic sound, Ravishna Chakravarti Thakur, 11th canto, chapter 12, uh, Ravishna Chakravarti says, uh, I enter the Adhara Chakra. Oh, okay. So where it really starts, uh, uh, the verse says, I, the Supreme Lord, said, I, the Supreme Lord, who gives life to every living being, manifesting in the various chakras. I enter the Muladhara Chakra of Brahma. So where it really starts is with the first created being. 
right? And, and for a time, the only being. Right? I enter in the Muladhara Chakra of Brahma, Brahma, along with the prana phase of subtle para sound. I then rise to the Manipura Chakra in the mental phase as Pashanyanti and to the uh, Anadhatta Chakra, the intellectual phase in the subtle form of Majjama. And then the alphabet comes about. So he says, he says here, uh, I, the Supreme Lord, am called Jiva since I give life. I am that person. This is Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's commentary. Pointing with his forefinger, he touches his chest, the Lord, when he says this. I, I am Jiva. I give life. I make my appearance in the Muladhara and other chakras on Brahma's body. That appearance is further described. Uh, and then it goes on how all these... Uh, I enter the Adhara Chakra along with prana filled with subtle sound called para or nada or goshena. So this, this para is nada. I attain the subtle mental form, manomayam, called Pashyanti in the Manipura Chakra below the navel. Because sound, when, you, when you say a word in your mind, that's, you're making a sound vibration, but it's subtler. It's not the gross. See, sound is in ether, and we say, well, how can that be in space and space? But space is a vacuum, and no sound travels in space. Not that one phase doesn't travel in space. But we know that electromagnetic waves, radio signals, all those things can travel in space. So subtler forms of sound and by the way, you want to talk about pollution. All this way, we're, we're polluting the, the, the ether. Anyway, I attain the subtle mental form, manomayam, called Pashyanti, in the Manipura Chakra, uh, the navel and the Madhyama, and then Madhyama, in the heart, and finally the Vishuddha, Vishuddhi Chakra in the throat. I become gross sound called Vaikari, with short and long sounds, high, low, and medium pitches, and various syllables of the alphabet. So that vikari is the grossest form of this sound. So there are these other subtler forms. First appear in the body of Brahma. Uh, 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 so that's, that's how it takes place. It's cosmological. And then, of course, Brahma out of his body produces the, the rest of the... the the, the universe he, exp he expands it uh, that way out of his he produces things out of his mind uh, and so on mental uh, living entities and out of his knee and out of his you know you, you, uh, they, 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 uh, they they talk about Sridhar Swami's elaborate technical explanation of these three verses and basically says they're really hard to understand. <laughs> uh, um, uh, so, but the, but in, in this way, the, the 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 Vedas, which is kind of the blueprint for creation, in other words, they're they're not just a book that tells you about something; they do things. They they correspond to the Platonic forms. Uh, you know, the tonic form of cow and then there are particular cows that uh, participate in that form and so on. But here, 
you know, that, that form creates the, the cows. The idea of cow, the sound cow, it comes before the object. It's not that, that there's objects for which we put on speech, but rather there's speech that creates the objects it denotes. And so this is a, 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 a clo- very close connection between Vedic sound anyway and the objects of the world. It's not this arbitrary, because otherwise philosophers are always trying to figure out the relationship between meaning and reference and sense and, and the words and things and so on and how we fit and don't fit. But originally, it's all knit quite closely together. Now we have barbaric languages and, 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 and vernaculars that are degenerated. Obviously, this kind of this was the language that people used in the Satya Yuga, Treta Yuga. You know, it's gone in the Kali Yuga. Uh, maybe Dwarpura was somewhat there was this because you know it's just like English changes. There's a correct English, you know, and then gradually it becomes turns into the vernacular. Sanskrit degenerates into Greek, into Latin, into Persian, and so on. Uh, anyway, I guess we better stop. <laughs> we went over time a little bit. But uh, this is very, very interesting, uh, how this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, stuff un- 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 unfolds. So that, that's, this is the, the depth of the Vedic sound. That, the other thing is this, this relationship between thought and reality and Vedic sound and, and how, how it's related to the world around it because it generates it. That's how, by mantra, you can make things happen. There's a book I have on my shelf over here called Understanding Mantras by a bunch of modern scholars. And they said that mantras present the modern scholars with a challenge. He says, we do not believe in magic. Most of us do not even pray. So they call it magic. You say a magic spell and something happens, right? That's how it's come down, uh, down to us. But Prabhupada said that, uh, you know, something like magic, it just means you don't know how it's done. Of course, now it's done with tricks, to make it seems like you, you can do something impossible, but there are mystic potencies uh, that people have, and uh, and if it's if it's if it's if it's mystic, if it's, it's a miracle, it means you just don't know how it's done. People can't do them, uh, not anymore, mostly. But anyway, this 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 is how uh, Brahmanas who knew this, all the aspects of sound in its very subtle forms were able to get things done by chanting mantras. Okay, we'll stop there. <laughs> I got to... Uh, I have to switch over to... Wait a minute, this is the wrong way. Here it is. Now, you're on speakerphone if you call in. And uh, people on, on the, the Skype can can uh, type in. Okay.
questions or comments? And in the studio audience, yes. Yeah. Great idea that you mentioned is Stork's thought. Aren't some of these Vedic mantras conditioned upon the spiritual state of the individual speaking them? Because mm -hmm. you know, what you're saying, like if, if something like they say two dead batteries can't produce a spark, you know, in a sense, like if you're not in that condition, then I was in India, I'd hear people chant these shlokas for hours and hours and hours. It was, it was like hearing uh, fingernails on a chalkboard you know, sometimes. So if someone's not in the right condition, they're not developed spiritually, could, they, could that be part of why they don't work in this age? Yeah, exactly. They, they, they don't work because they, when, when scholars talk about Vedic sacrifice, they talk about things like ritual purity. You know, that this is, because they think of a sacrifice as a religious ritual. And so what the priests undergo is ritual purity. There's a lot of it, doing different things purifying the body, purifying the instruments, purifying the mind, purifying your heart. There's mantras you chant to do this. But really, you should think of it as attaining the proper laboratory conditions for an experiment to work. It's more like that than it is like a religious ritual. For example, if you, if you, you know, in college we did chemistry experiments, and if your test tubes were dirty, it wouldn't work. You know, you had to do everything very precisely. Uh, modern science also is extreme precision is called for. And therefore, they invent more and more fine measuring devices. They're dealing with tiny and tinier elements of the matter. So it's a lot of precision. They have to make sure there's an environment in which not a single particle of dust can get in because it will mess up the experiment. And, and so on. So this is the same. The, but this, these, these, the, 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 the priests themselves have to be in the right mental condition for the mantras to be efficacious. And also, Prabhupada has talked about chanting, even the Hare Krishna mantra, to be really effective, it should be heard by a, a, from a pure devotee, somebody who's cultivating Krishna consciousness properly. And just anybody gets up and chanted, it won't. Their, their potency will not be uh, not be there. This is just a short follow-up to that. Even if someone were, for instance, breaking all four of the regular principles openly, but still chanting. I mean, versus like Lord Chaitanya chanting. Even that person that's breaking those principles is better off than breaking them and not chanting, right? It may not be. I mean, they're still better. They're moving along with that. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Because because it's also the medicine. And if, if, if we're, we're, we're chanting the Hare Krishna mantra while trying to improve ourselves, chanting and while trying to become free from offenses, just the attempt makes the releases some of the potency of the mantra. If we're chanting the Hare Krishna mantra and not trying to do anything, then it's no better than letters of the alphabet, according to Bhaktivinoda Thakur. This is, it's called Nam Aparad. The, the pure name is not manifest. Sounds may sound just like it, but it's Nam Aparad. And sometimes you can be fooled. You know, people are good singers, uh, talented musicians, uh, and so on. And you may think, you know, they're really out there in ecstasy because they're just skillful. 
because, of course, actors and musicians know how to imitate feelings that they don't feel because they have skill. So that's, you know, that that's a, a little caveat. You 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 have to have, you can't just go by uh, by uh, appearances sometimes. Okay, Radha Bhushana asks, speaking of sound. The mind is enumerated among Krishna's eightfold material energies, so it's not conscious. So how come it speaks? Hmm. Well, when 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 consciousness uh, is when 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 you know manas is an element that doesn't really appear unless there's a jiva to have it, and so then it becomes an instrument of the jiva. And so the, the 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 jiva, with the aid of super soul, is able to is able to uh, make use of the subtle ahankara and uh, and, uh, and and manas and buddhi, these these uh, these material subtle material elements, as part of the subtle body. So, but but uh, so far as we know, as far as I can understand. The, the, those manas, buddhi, and ahankara, unless there's a spirit soul, or unless the supreme soul is activated with it, those things don't do anything. So Krishna, as the supreme soul, can also he, we're talking about him as the as the paramatma. When he talks about the body of Hiranyagar uh, of uh, Hiranyagarbha Brahma. Uh, that means the, 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 the Brahma who creates the universe, uh, then you're dealing with uh, cosmological people. And Krishna is a cosmological person. Am I clear, I hope? Yeah? In text 36, there's a, a word you said is D being used. Is Gambia? Gambia. Is that connected to the Gambira that uh, Mahaprabhu dwells in? Yes. Uh-huh. Same word. Uh-huh. Gambira. Mm-hmm. Nesh asks, self-realization means realizing the Omkara within us in the context of verse 37, 11, 11, 37. The Lord is saying, I personally established the Vedic sound vibration in the form of Omkara with all living beings again. This, is this related to the Dhamma Bodhi Yogam Bhagavad Gita 10.10? How should we understand this as part of Bhakti Yoga and chanting the Hare Krishna Mantra? And as a comment, he says, I heard before many times in the past that Omkara is the source of all sound. Yeah, this verse has already explained that Omkara is that all sound evolves from this Omkara. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Prabhupada has told us that that the qualifications to actually promptly properly chant Omkara itself is way beyond anybody's reach, pretty much. But that the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, he says, is another way of chanting Omkara, uh, because om, Omkara, uh, when you when you chant it, it's a way of coming into contact uh, with the Supreme Lord, it, 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 
it is all-pervading Brahman and it denotes all-pervading Brahman. Omkara, the name and that which is named are the same. To realize that sameness, you have to be in a very heightened state of purity. So with, with the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, so the Omkara is the name of God too. You can say Om. The word Om means this. The Kara is syllable. Omkara means the syllable Om. Uh, the sound Om. And so, so, uh, uh, so, the, so, so. In, in either case, uh, the, the Hare Krishna mantra uh, is is there for people who are not qualified to chant the Omkara. Vedic sacrifices don't work anymore because there are no qualified brahmanas either. Uh, they're 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 not doing it. But I didn't go back to the first part of these questions then. Uh, first part is self-realization means realizing the own karma within us in the, in the context of verse 37 that we read. Yeah, well, well, uh, that's part of it. Uh, when when self-realization uh, means uh, the basic meaning of that is understanding I am spirit soul. Who am I? If I have human, Prabhupada's slogan was human life is meant for self-realization. And self-realization means understanding who I am. If, you, if I have to do self-realization, it means I'm bewildered about my own identity. That is, I've identified myself with the body. I'm not the body, I'm the spirit soul. That's one part of self-realization. And I'm part and parcel of the supreme soul, self-realization stage two. Self-realization and God-realization go hand in hand. He's the, you can say he's the self with a capital S. Uh, 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 and, and the word Atma, self, you know, can refer to both. Uh, it just means, it can mean the body too if you're on the bodily platform. You know, so it's reflexive uh, pronoun. Uh, uh, so so, uh, so, so that's, and then, so self-realization we, we would perceive, we would begin to understand myself as a spirit soul. I would then uh, un- understand, be able to start to have the intuition or, or the direct experience that Krishna is everywhere. And then I began to get the sense of being directed and guided by Krishna in the heart. That, that becomes a reality. So self-realization and God-realization, they go together. We do them hand in hand. And with that, also Omkara would show up, and all those other kinds of things uh, as that 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 we understand. Uh, Prabhupada describes sometimes this this pair Jnana Vijnana, or to say correctly Jnana Vijnana. <laughs> uh, 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 so Jnana is knowledge that that's acquired by books. So we're reading Srimad Bhagavatam, that's book knowledge. Vigyana means experience knowledge. What you read in the books, you now experience for yourself. And there's conditions under which for, for, for Bhagavad Gita or, or Bhagavatam to take place, the Prabhupada is described, the speaker has to be pure and the hearers are pure. When both the speakers are pure and the hearers are pure, then it actually happens, and you, as Prabhupada, but it see Krishna in every page of the Bhagavatam. 
In other words, the, the idea of this being a representation of something else that dissolves and you're directly in the reality. It's like if you had a really good uh, description of Paris uh, and you're reading this guy describing Paris and you can almost see the Arche de Triomphe, the Champs-Élysées and all these you know, wonderful places. But the real Paris tour book, you open the book and you read it and you're there on the streets. What we call magic, right? <laughs> it's the thing. But that's what Bhagavatam, uh, Prabhupada tells us, will do. Because Krishna and Krishna's name are the same, so Krishna's book has the same as the mantra. The Bhagavatam is just one long mantra, basically, or a string of them. And therefore, Prabhupada has given us the Bhagavatam and the whole Hare Krishna movement to make the conditions possible under which Bhagavatam can actually take place. Anything else? Okay, Yugalarasa asks, sometimes we say that in Kali Yuga, we are not responsible for our thoughts. On another hand, it looks like purification take, can take place through those three levels of subtle sounds, Vaikari, Mahya, and Prashanti, gross sounds, thoughts, and desires. Uh, it's not that, what does she say, we're not responsible for our thoughts? No, right. that doesn't say that. The, the, what it says is in Kali Yuga, you don't suffer the karma for your thoughts. If, in previous yugas, if I want, if I fantasize myself murdering somebody, I suffer the karma, just as if I'd done it grossly or close to it or something like that. Now, when I commit mental sins, uh, I commit sins mentally, uh, then I don't get the punishment. So, but, but we do have to purify the mind because what happens is subtle leads to gross. If I keep contemplating the object of the senses, I'll end up doing it. Think about an ice cream cone for two days straight, you'll end up with an ice cream cone in spite of your dietary vows. <laughs> right, so it's important to start with the mind. And remember, uh, remember that, that the mind is, is the repository, this is Prabhupada's description, the repository of all ideas of sense gratification. And so at the time of death, if the mind is still stuffed with unsatisfied desires, uh, that's what causes us to take a certain birth in the material world. If our desire is purely to serve Krishna, I mean, desire should be there, but if there are pure desires to serve Krishna, then we go back to Godhead. Okay, yeah? Just a real quick thing. Yes. Explain that a little bit. Imagine if in like Satyug we had this class, and I'm thinking we all have we all have the ability of telepathy and clairvoyance. And I started to think, 
oh boy, this is boring. I can't wait to get out of here. And we all heard that thought. Yeah. You know how embarrassing that would be. Yeah, that's true. It, it gets ridiculous at some point. It's like that old mm-hmm. show where the kid, the kid can hear everyone's thoughts and light them on fire. You know, the old, uh, that old show they have uh-huh. back in the day. I mean, uh-huh. it, it would become so ridiculous. So in such a, we would, we would have to be holy and purified. You would. If everybody could, 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 could know what you're thinking. Uh-huh. That'd be so embarrassing if you was. Yeah, it would be very embarrassing, right? You wouldn't have any privacy, would you? Huh? The privacy of your own mind. Well, maybe you could veil things. Maybe you had mystic powers. You could, you could make a little compartment nobody could see into. You know, NASA keeps trying to do that. I mean, uh, NSA, National Security Agency, tries to keep that. People keep finding out, get stuff out of the black box. What's that? that there's something in physics about a black box, something over which no radiation escapes, or something. You know, some idea. You can try. <laughs> what else? Anything else? Uh, I'm a little cut off, but I'll try to ask about it. This is from Ramananda. He asked, he's asking about the symbol of medicine. Uh, is the rod of Asclepius? Yeah. The snake crawling up the rod. Yes. Do you know if the organ is from Kundalini climbing the chakras? Yeah, I've heard that said. Because because you know they, they, they're, 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 there's the, the uh, shashumna, the, the central nadi. Uh, by the way, the word nada, not that we're looking at. Uh, it's it comes from the word uh, a word nub. Which means to uh, like an indistinct sound, like like noise or a rumble or a, and so a river is a nada because of the sound of a running river, and then with a long a is uh, or a nadi if it's a female river, nada if it's a male river, the nada as the the sound. So the uh, and then then the the channels uh, uh, through which prana flows are called nadis, also like a river. Uh, something through which something flows. So, so the central nadi uh, is this this this, uh, this shushumna, which goes all the way up to the uh, top. And then there's the the two, the ida and the pingala, which both start at the base of the spine and apparently crisscross and then end up left or nostril. I forgot which is which now. One is left, one is right. Ends up with the nostrils. That's why you do this yogi breathing. You like that uh, so so that's that's and so people have some people have said that this must originate from because those two snakes twirling around the central rod seems to be a very ancient symbol becomes the symbol of, of, of medicine but I don't know that anybody's actually traced it back you know found you know, here's this and here's this uh, the, the, this meaning being uh, on, on the one side, the modern symbol, or the Greek symbol, Asclepius had had this symbol. So you see it to the Greeks, and then you see something similar. Uh, although I don't know if it's ever been represented uh, iconography in iconography in India, but I think there's missing. You can't actually. There's miss, There's gaps. You can you can say yeah, it must have come for that, but we don't know. I don't. I, I think it's a, something of a. Uh, maybe too many thousands of years, <laughs> whatever, you know, in the middle of me have, have no evidence for what happened. 
so I, I would I would say it's a hypothesis rather than a than a uh, than a, a proven fact. You just don't you just can't trace it back. But stuff you read on the internet, they tell you, tell you these things, but they're very careless when it comes to documenting stuff. This is okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that's it. Anything else? Okay. Uh, well, this uh, to me, this is a very, very interesting topic, and uh, and uh, so so we we'll we'll, uh, we'll actually text forty one just list the meters. But anyway, we'll start with text forty one. And continue. Do we? Uh, yeah. No class There's no class next week because of the what? The holidays. Yes. You know, what does holiday come from? Holy day. But anyway, but the unholy days. <laughs> In times of gluttony and uh, and so on. So so week after next we'll resume with text number forty one. Uh, you know, look at this again and think about it some more because this is a very interesting little esoteric topic, and I certainly intend to explore it more after I retire from management and uh, try to get some more of these because I think it relates to the Vedic Planetarium Cosmology Project also. Um, so I'm interested in this. Well, thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shri Bhagavatam Ki Jai.